the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. There was some new Pew research that came out, and so there was a flood of articles yesterday. In fact, one of our coworkers, Dan Ehrman, he sent me four different texts of screenshots of just articles in different places, right? The weird spiral of declining Christianity in America. Mm, yeah. More Americans left Christianity during the pandemic. A recent poll, America growing more secular by the year, and it goes on and on and on. Lots of them yesterday. Uh, but th- there's uh, research to back this up. Okay, so uh, at Religion News, a new poll saying that America is growing more secular by the year. Uh, Another one that about three in 10 U.S. adults are now considered themselves religiously unaffiliated. So, Aubrey, we've seen these before, but there's this kind of glut of articles right now about it. What do you make of this trend going on right now? I mean, I, you know, I have mixed feelings about this trend because what I, I've heard experts say a few different things. One, this actually is not a trend of declining Christianity. This mm. is more of a trend of like people who were defining themselves as cultural Christians, but weren't actually like walking with God. And so what we're actually seeing now is a more accurate reading of what things have always been. And for those of us who care about evangelism and winning people to Jesus, this actually is really helpful because now people are maybe more authentically saying, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus, where before they might say, yeah, I'm a Christian because like culturally it's acceptable to be a Christian or or there's almost a pressure culturally to be a Christian. Everybody's a Christian, you know? Right, right, so right. So I, I do think um, what, again, I, I'm not an expert in statistics at all, but what I have heard some of the experts say is like, don't panic about this. Just know like this is actually a more accurate reading of what has been going on all along. So though it feels like there's this major decline it's actually just the way people are identifying themselves differently, but the way they are identifying themselves hasn't actually changed. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does. Flesh, flesh out for people a little more the idea of cultural Christianity, because we hear that term a lot. But what do you mean when you use that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think probably since 2000, uh, since the last election, this maybe is different. So let me go. Let me go pre-Trump presidency. Okay. I would say cultural Christianity was sort of like, yeah, you sort of, everyone goes to church. Uh, everyone in your neighborhood has some type of affiliation, maybe goes to church around Christmas or Easter. It's acceptable. In fact, in a lot of social settings and even business settings, it's sort of expected that you're a church goer because that means you're a good person in society. I would say maybe where things have changed, uh, since, uh, the Trump presidency is that, that, And I don't want to say it's changed since then. It's been changing for a while. But that connection between evangelical Christianity and um, like very uh, certain politicians, I'll just Mm -hmm. say that, Mm -hmm. that connection, that nationalism, I think now 
Christians have sort of begun to identify differently because they don't want to be lumped in with that group. Like they don't want, they're not that political affiliation. And so therefore they're like, oh, I'm not a Christian if that's what it means to be a Christian. So I think that piece of the statistic might be new in the past decade or so. Whereas before people were more comfortable just calling themselves Christians. Again, this is me. I'm not an, I'm an armchair expert here, but anyway. Uh, Ryan Burge, who we've had on the show before, he's an assistant professor of political science at Eastern Illinois University, but he also uh, kind of specializes in religion and statistics. So what we're talking about here, I'm actually going to bring up a stat later that he tweeted out the other day, but mm. uh, he wrote this. There's less stigma attached to being an atheist. Uh, it's revealing of what's been there for a long time rather than a big shift. So exactly what you just said. People have not answered honestly for 20 or, or they have not, they may not have answered honestly 20 to 30 years ago. And so Christianity is still the number one kind of uh, choice that people make, right? Like, yeah. uh, but, but what do we do with this? Cause you said this is helpful as evangelists. This is helpful mm-hmm. maybe as pastors. Cause I think most people read all these articles as Christians and we go, the sky is falling. Yeah. Uh, our, our culture, our nation is going to hell. Like wh- what is going on? But y- you're kind of like, uh, th- this is uh, maybe helpful. Uh, expound on that. How could this be helpful? Because most people probably read this and are scared or or frustrated by it. You know, and I think people who have seen like Europe go from what was once a Christian nation to basically, you know, no Christianity at all. Mm-hmm. They have a different perspective that we could all learn from. So I don't want to like paint all of this with this like, oh, everything's wonderful brush. But I do think what this says for us is what the actual opportunity is when it comes to loving our neighbors towards Jesus. Because before we might even assume as Christ followers, oh, my neighbor's a Christian. Yeah, they say they're a Christian. Well, now we can go, oh, no, no, no. They're unafraid to say they're not a Christian. In fact, a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm not a Christian. I No way am I affiliated with those people. Right. And, and so now that is an invitation then to love people really well towards Christ, where before we might have gotten a little bit lazy, like, oh, they're fine. They say they're mm. Christian, they're fine. And so, I, I mean, I guess it, it's reframing something that maybe is devastating and sad. Certainly the nation is going to change. Certainly things are going to look different. But I do think if we can see this, like, remember, the Lord is still in control of all of this. Like, God yeah. is not surprised by any of this, but we are called to be the church. Like, he has put us in our neighborhoods and in our jobs, in our schools on purpose. That's to shine his light wherever we are. And now it's an opportunity to shine more brightly with more intention, knowing like things are changing. Let's go church. Are we going to show up and and share the beautiful news of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus with our neighbors? Or are we going to keep pretending like we're asleep? Like this is a, I, I think this is a wake up call in a great way, not in a scary way, but that's my personality. So. Yeah. And I think for pastors and people go to church, one thing this means is less people are going to go to church because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Good point, Brian. And so that over time here, you'll see less of that. But it, like you said, I think it opens up the mission field a little bit for us to go, okay, uh, people are not just kind of signing on because that's what people do, right? They always talk about how a generation or two ago, it was good for business, a businessman to be a part of a church. It Mm -hmm. was good uh, Mm -hmm. to do those kind of things. But now, um, it, there's more of a sense of, okay, let's, let's really get to the message of the gospel. Let's yeah. really get to people. And, and 
uh, there'll be less pretending, hopefully. Hopefully. I don't know. Yeah. I still think there's probably enough pretending to go I around. I mean, there's pretending our, everywhere, right? In our yeah. churches right now. But, but hopefully a little bit less of that uh, so we can kind of double down and say, okay, let's really roll up our sleeves and be honest with each other rather than just pretend. And so hopefully yeah. that's kind of putting a, a positive spin on it because there is a trajectory right now. Uh, away from the church, away mm-hmm. from faith. And I think we all just have to accept that and go, okay, what do uh, we do with that? Well, we're off and running today. Coming up next, the authors of a new book called Journey of the Soul, a practical guide to emotional and spiritual health. Their names are Bill and Christy Gaultier. They're co-founders of an organization called Soul Shepherding. We're excited to have Bill and Christy join us next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined uh, by authors Bill and Christy Galtier. Uh, we're here to talk about their book that came out a little bit ago. That book is called Journey of the Soul, A Practical Guide to Emotional and Spiritual Growth. Bill and Christy, thanks so much for joining us. And we'd love to start by having you guys introduce yourself. So, Bill, why don't you start? Why don't you tell us a, a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, I want to say hi to all my peeps in Chicagoland. I'm from Chicago and a fellow nice. suffering Bears fan. So. <laughs> I'm a psychologist, and uh, with Christy, we founded uh, Soul Shepherding in 2009, and we're a ministry to help people thrive with Jesus in their life and their relationships and their leadership. And uh, we we love what we get to do, coming alongside people and helping them to be emotionally and spiritually healthy. Great. And Christy, uh, what can you tell us about? Are you also a long-suffering Bears fan? What else can you tell us about? <laughs> marriage, I am. I didn't grow up in Chicago, but I, I, I root with them for, through Bill, for sure. There you go. <laughs> That's fantastic. And Bill, let's just dive into this book. What prompted you and Christy to write this? Well, we've been working with uh, people in counseling as uh, psychologists and in our teaching ministry and discipling ministry. And we just needed a tool for people so they could understand where they are in their journey with Jesus in mm. uh, the stages of faith. And so we developed a model to help people understand that because we need language to describe our experiences. And we need to know, well, what's going to help me where I am today? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Christy, I guess I would, we're in the midst of a pandemic. I'm sure you know this two years in now. Life is crazy. Uh, what are you guys as psychologists, as therapists? What are you seeing right now? Are people really struggling? Is it, is it really hard out there? Help us understand what you're seeing kind of in a mental, emotional, spiritual health wise during this pandemic. It is difficult. A lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of grief. People are so grieved. They're, they're weary. They're tired of how long mm. it's going on and the unknowns. And then the, the division that comes up with it not knowing, you know, who you can trust and people have different opinions and the ups and downs and all longing for things to get back to what was normal. And so it is a stressful time and people are feeling it and they're missing. The being together in healthy relationships, relationships are more stressed than usual as well. Oh, it's so true. And, you know, thinking of that, Bill, when Christians are stressed or spiritually dry, I know you write uh, for those specific situations in this new book. What are some steps you'd recommend? 
Yeah, well, so the big takeaway from Journey of the Soul is that there is so much more to the Christian life than most people realize. And so most of us uh, churchgoers, uh, Bible believers, uh, following Jesus, we, we follow particular sort of steps, the early stages and the Christ stages uh, mm-hmm. with Bible reading and church attendance and small groups. And at some point we hit a wall and we don't realize why we're dry, why, why we're empty. And so giving people language for that experience and helping them understand the importance of changing up their spiritual disciplines and soul care practices based on the stage that they're at. So at the wall, it's really important to slow down your activities and to get more rest and pay more attention to your emotions Mm. and probably talk with a spiritual director who is great at listening and praying for you and, and guiding you in some different rhythms. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, Bill, to hear you talk about the, the stages of faith. I don't want to give away too much of your book, but Christy, uh, you guys talk about six uh, stages of faith. Could you briefly just kind of walk us through them? What are the stages of faith? The first stage is the C stage. That's confidence in Christ. And we're first coming to put our faith in Jesus. The mm-hmm. symbol, we have a symbol for each of the stage and the symbol for the C stage is the church because usually we come to Christ through his body, through another person who shares Christ with us. And then in the church, we receive special disciplines and experiences like baptism and communion. And then we go to the H stage, which is help and discipleship. In the age stage, we've come to recognize that there's some things in scripture that God teaches us to do, but we quite really don't know how to do them. And so we need help with that from fellow Christians. We need help in understanding how to pray and mm-hmm. how to understand and engage with scripture and the Bible. After we've been a Christian and we've been growing in discipleship, then we enter the R stage, which is responsibilities in ministry. In the R stage, our symbol is a medal or like a a blue ribbon, because in the R stage, we're excited to be teaming with others in the body of Christ. We've learned that we can have an impact way bigger as we join together with others in service to Christ. And we learn that God has given us unique joy gifts. And as we use those gifts in his service, we can experience all kinds of wonderful joy and impact and Mm. seeing God use us and grow us. And then usually after some years in the CH&R stage, that's when we will hit this wall. And the wall is usually a very difficult time. It can look like a burnout. It can look like a time of blowout of sin. It can look like a dark night of the soul. For me, when I hit my wall, it was compassion fatigue. As a doctor of psychology, spending so many thousands of hours in the pool of pain with people, I ran out of my ability to care anymore. And I started Mm. to distrust God, which can also be really common at the wall. But if at the wall, we realize that there's so much more that God has for us, and we press into the I stage, which is the inner journey stage, and we do the work of becoming emotionally honest and vulnerable, and we do the work of really igniting and finding our longing for God, then he has so much more. We begin to receive so much empathy from God yeah. and we enter into the next stage of spirit-led ministry. Our, our symbol for spirit-led ministry is a sailboat because in spirit-led ministry, we've entered into God's oceanic love and we've learned to rest in times of peace and not try to make things happen on our own, but to wait for the wind of the spirit to come and catch the sail. And we know how to adjust the sail and move with the spirit in ways that has such a, an exciting 
dynamic impact and such fruitfulness. In, in the first three stages, we're productive, but in the second three, we're really living a fruitful life that comes out of inward character of the heart. And then the T stage is transforming union. It's in our symbols, the wedding rings, because by then we've been faithful. We've been in union with Jesus. Our intimacy is deep with him. We're appreciating the full Trinity, our relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're able to practice his presence at all times. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm, I'm sure helpful for pastors who are thinking about, you know, uh, discipling their folks. Bill, have, how has um, the work you've done really poured over into churches and church leaders that you both work with? Well, because every, every pastor, counselor, small group leader, spiritual director, soul friend, when we're helping other people, we need to understand where they are. And so when they have this map, and language for the different stages. It is so helpful to them. So we just love going out to churches and we get to give uh, sermons, uh, kickoffs, uh, series on Journey of the Soul because the church can go through the, the, the whole book uh, and uh, training leaders. So that's a lot of fun for us. It's very eye-opening for people in ministry because their whole uh, work so much is based on uh, a path of discipleship. And this is fresh language for them with the stages and the steps. Yeah, again, Bill and Christy Gaultier are doctors of psychology, co-founders of Soul Shepherding, uh, co-host of the podcast Soul Talks. And also, we've been talking to them about their book, Journey of the Soul, A Practical Guide to Emotional and Spiritual Growth. Uh, the whole concept of what you guys are talking about is life as a journey, our faith as a journey. Uh, and, and that uh, is such an important concept that people don't understand often. Why is it important to view our life and our faith as a journey? Because at any given moment in time, each of us are in a different place in that journey. And so we need language for that. We need a map to help see where we are. You know, you go to a mall with all these stores in it, and, you, and a lot of times you need to go, find, okay, where's the map here? And then there's a, a big red star that says, you are here. Yes. <laughs> Once you know where you are, then you can find your way to where you want to get. And so that's what Journey of the Soul is. It puts a red star on the map of your soul and says, you're here. here here's what you're feeling. Here's what you're struggling with. Here are the opportunities. And here's some soul care practices that are likely to help you where you are. Oh, that's so that's so good. I love that you're offering this as a resource for Christians. And Christy, can you um, tell us a little bit about the soul shepherding map? So are there trail markers on it? Are there different, uh, you know, what does the map look like for people who are interested? There are trail markers. We've made it really practical. We put some fun things in. The trail markers really highlight key aspects of the stage that you're in. So you can understand why it is that certain spiritual disciplines are really life-giving to you, but others really aren't. And you can learn to embrace that and let those go. And you can be able to understand what God is really drawing you into and leading you towards and growing you into it. Also, each stage in the book really gives you some practical ways to receive more of God's grace and not depend upon ourselves and judge ourselves and also to be more gracious to others who are in different stages. We tend to judge things that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so this book really helps us understand not only our own journey, but those of other people that we're in relationship with. Yeah. And Bill, I'd love to circle back to the concept of the wall. You guys talked about like we hit this wall. Could you explain the wall more? And um, when we don't understand that we're going to hit a wall at some point in our life, I, it strikes me that the that the the danger is that that's the point where people give up on their faith, where they go, I, I must be something wrong with me. I'd love you for you to speak to that as well. 
Yeah, so we talk about six types of walls, uh, burnout from overworking, uh, spiritual burnout from maybe too many disciplines or church activities, a blowout that's like a moral failing, a personal crisis could be depression or grief, a faith crisis, like you just said, Brian, mm-hmm. and then the dark night of the soul where God's face just feels hidden and uh, we're spiritually dry and uh, in disorientation. So I hit the wall in a big way three times in my life. And uh, the first two times, I didn't really know what was happening. Uh, and I didn't have the language of the journey of the soul and the Christ stages map. And so mm-hmm. it was very disorienting for me. Uh, the first time I hit the wall was in a job where I was being persecuted uh, as a Christian and, and being mistreated and got depressed and was and just God seemed distant. I was a young person. The second time I hit the wall, it was in my late 30s uh, from overworking as a pastor and a counselor, and I burned out. Mm-hmm. The third time I hit the wall was a few years ago, leading soul shepherding in our in our growth and struggling with my leadership limitations. Mm-hmm. Well, this uh, that I needed to transcend. But that third time, the big difference is that I had the Christ stages map. And so I knew where I was and I knew to trust the map. And okay, Bill, you're at the wall, and uh, <laughs> this means you need to uh, slow down. You need to pay more attention to your emotions. Invite the spirit of Jesus into that. Uh, talk with a spiritual director, uh, and uh, experience a time of refreshing. And if I would be patient at the wall, rather than trying to force through it and trying to just overwork in the R stage of responsibilities and ministry, then what would happen is if the, by doing the inner journey work, which we call the shovel stage, you get out the shovel. In time, God opens up a, a spiritual renewal in the S stage of spirit-led ministry. And so uh, the map really served me well and helped me be at ease even while I was at the wall and then and then to get through that. Mm, that's that's fantastic. You know, I, I'm thinking about spiritual direction. I, I've met with a spiritual director for about four years now. It has, I mean, helped me with the wall, exactly like <laughs> what you're talking about. I wonder for our listeners who are thinking, Wow, they've mentioned a spiritual director a few times. What in the world is a spiritual director? Christy, can you answer that question? Yes, a spiritual director is someone who is trained to sit with you. And while they listen to you, they listen to the Holy Spirit. And they're helping you understand where is the Holy Spirit active in your life? What is God doing in your life? And how can you respond? How might you be missing it? Or what? how might you respond to an invitation of the Lord in your life? It can be a great place for you to be able to have space to get in touch with what you're feeling and maybe what your image of God is. Soul Shepherding actually trains spiritual directors, and we also have a team of spiritual directors that anyone can go to soulshepherding.org and they can meet with a spiritual director, sign up right there. Their schedule is there and book it. And it's a great way to stay emotionally healthy, to get the help and the tools that you need to get through times like a wall or to just understand these different stages, but to do it in a way that's more interactive and personal with a spiritual director who's companioning you on your journey. Yeah. Yeah. And Bill, uh, this book just seems so important, especially in where we're at now, right? In the midst of the pandemic and all. Uh, you guys have done a good job with this, but I'd love for you, Bill, in, in just a minute to be able to kind of synthesize. If somebody reads your book, if a Christian reads your book, what do you want them to walk away knowing? What, what do you want the result to be in their life after they've read your book? Oh, greater devotion to Jesus, mm-hmm. just a, a heart that, that beats with love for Jesus and his people. And by understanding where we are and the unique ways that we can uh, can pray, can read the scripture, can connect with other people, 
Uh, we can experience a spiritual renewal and, and we all need periodic renewals yeah. uh, in our life. And so that we can uh, do our, our, our work and our ministry out of the overflow of God's blessings to us. Oh, it's so good. And Christy, can you um, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and Bill, about Journey in the Soul, about um, all things soul shepherding? Absolutely. Journeyofthesoul.org is where you can find more free videos. We've got on each of the Christ stages, we've got a playlist of contemporary Christian worship songs for each of the stages on there, as well as some other great stuff. And then soulshepherding.org is where you can find our ministry, our podcast, our blog, information about our Soul Shepherding Institute, meet with the spiritual director, all kinds of great practical help at soulshepherding.org as well. Oh, that's great. Bill and Christy Gaultier, they're co-founders of Soul Shepherding. They're also the authors of Journey of the Soul, a practical guide to emotional and spiritual growth. We'd encourage you, especially this Christmas season, go pick that book up. Uh, you can also learn more about Bill and Christy and their book at soulshepherding.org and connect with them on Twitter at Soul Shepherding. That's at Soul Shepherding. Bill and Christy, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful and a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you. Thanks for the common good. Appreciate you all. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. And you're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We're so thrilled that you're with us. Um, Brian, you may not believe this. I was shocked to hear this. But did you know that uh, it has been a year since the very first COVID vaccine in America. Really? No, I didn't know that at all. I do remember when it first came out and seeing the footage of that first person get their shot. That was a big, big deal. No, I did not realize at all that it's been a year. Yeah, December 14th actually was the year anniversary. So that was a little bit shocking to me. But you mentioned the first person getting the vaccine. I wanted to play some audio for she's reflecting a year later on what it was like to be the first person getting it's really, really interesting. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. That morning, I woke up early and I, I just couldn't wait to get on site where the vaccine was being offered. And so I got there an hour early and I was just, you know, waiting around, talking to my colleagues who kept asking me, how was I feeling, if I'm doing okay? And I go, I am doing well. I just cannot wait to get what I called then a shot of hope. I didn't set out to be the first person to be vaccinated. But after the fact and in just during the press conference, um, you know, it really hit me that here I was a woman, a black woman, an immigrant, and what that could mean for communities of color who are so mistrustful of medicine and science. The team has been, had been at that point, working for months, not knowing that there would be some kind of relief in terms of something more powerful and substantial than social distancing, hand hygiene, and wearing our masks. And so that day for them was just a celebration of, yes, this protection is finally here for me and my family. Some people who who had moved out of their homes to protect their family, they felt like we could move back in again. 
we could have a good Christmas. I could hug my kids again. The vaccines provide a powerful, powerful tool in the fight against COVID. And that is what needs to get out there. Okay, so there she is saying, you know, she's a woman, she's black, she's an immigrant and all of the hope that she feels about the vaccine. And I didn't want to play that to be like, go get your vaccine. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I, you know, this is historic, really, if we think about it, like our kids are going to talk about this pandemic, our grandkids are going to talk about this pandemic. And so the fact that now here we are a year later, and this woman was able to be the first woman to get the vaccine. It's incredible to me to think about, you know, on one hand, how far medical advancement has come and how quickly it's come. And in a lot of ways, I know there's a lot of mixed feelings about the vaccine itself. But if you can sort of just step outside of all of the conflict and just think about that, like, I think it's worth praising God for the fact that these medical geniuses were able to come up with a vaccine that quickly and that it really has saved a lot of lives. Yeah, absolutely. It, regardless, like you said, of what you think of COVID, what you think of all of it, the the, the quick, what was it called? Operation Warp Speed, right? The mm-hmm. quick nature by which a vaccine, an effective vaccine was developed yeah. uh, to save lives is a meta- It's a medical miracle. Like it, yeah. you can't lose sight of that fact. You remember at the beginning, they were talking five years, six, you know, 10 years, and you're going, how is that ever going to happen? Right. Like, how, how can we do that? And so the very fact that there is an effective vaccine, and, and it is sad that it's become so polarizing and politicized, uh, because it really is a medical miracle. Now, you know, there's all sorts of other things about it, but it is worth celebrating all that it has done. Yeah, absolutely. We're celebrating, especially since, um, you know, news is coming out that the U.S. has passed 800,000 COVID deaths. We're the highest in the world right now. And, um, you know, that figure seems really unimaginable. And of course, we know that Omicron is spreading. And so, you know, just to think about the fact that, the medical world is doing all that it can in the middle of this tragedy that's still going on is pretty incredible. On the other side of the coin, Brian, because, you know, we're the common good. So we like to talk about <laughs> nuance yes. on all sides. That's part of what we do here very intentionally is the fact that in certain places like California, I saw they're sticking with those school mandates. And in New York, they're getting tough business owners and other organizations are really, really coming down on vaccine mandates. And we have said on the show a lot, we are both vaccinated. We are both pro-vaccine. We think you should get your vaccine if you can before the Lord and before your medical community. But we are not in favor of these vaccine mandates. Like Things are going too far when people are forced to get a vaccine that they don't want to get. Yeah, I agree with you. I yeah. think if, if, if neither of us are medical professionals, right. but if you're, if you're willing to roll the dice, then that's your choice yeah. and yeah. roll the dice. And, um, if you want to wear a mask and stay six feet from your choice, go ahead and do it. I, I certainly don't like that they're mandating that the that kids need to get right. it and other things. Right. I, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a bridge too far. Right. And so, uh, yay vaccine. 
uh, boo vaccine mandates. <laughs> that that kind of sums up how you and I feel. That's right very, now. That feels like a very professional opinion, Brian. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet you saying that. I like that. <laughs> now, Brian, at this point in the game, I mean, you know, we're almost two years now into this pandemic. Do you have people still asking you, should I, shouldn't I get the vaccine? Like, as a pastor, are they coming to you, or do you feel like most people have kind of made up their mind where they are about this? I haven't had anybody ask me in a long time. I don't. And I honestly haven't had many people ask me in the whole time. But those who did, it happened early on. uh, And they were some fascinating questions, you know, about uh, some of them were kind of out of left field. But but I would say it's been a while. I think people have made their decision. Yeah. I'm going to get vaccinated. I'm not. uh, If now, if, you know, if your job says you have to, that adds another layer. Mm -hmm. But I, I. I don't know. What do you th- what's happened in your life? Because I have not heard from people asking kind of the morality of it. Help me process this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like most people at this point have made their decision, whether it's a decision to wait and see what else you know comes out there. There's lots of news now about sort of like a uh, not going to like a covid pill or a vaccine pill. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but something that someone can take that will help fight covid rather than needing to get a vaccine. So I think there are people who are waiting. There are people who have gone ahead and done it. There are people who are like, nope, never going to do it. And that's been decided. So like, we're mm-hmm. th- I don't know. I might be wrong, but I don't think there's a lot of people still like, should I, shouldn't I? People sort of know where they are at this point. Well, anyway, Agreed. you know, it's fascinating to me. It's a year, a year since that first vaccine that felt like such a life altering, yeah. hopeful moment. So again, we're celebrating while obviously like holding on to that caution about the mandates. Next up. How do Christians embrace the goodness of diversity without caving to all of those winds of cultural change? We'll see if we can answer that question when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We're so thrilled that you're with us today. Brian, uh, you know, over the past year and a half, you and I have talked about things like what it means to be woke or anti-woke, what it means to embrace some of the changes that the culture is experiencing while also being distinctive. One of our one of our values here at The Common Good really is to find the common ground. So uh, when Christianity feels so divisive, we want to find the things that we have in common and celebrate them. And we want to learn how to honor people who are different. Um, from where we are. And so I think the overwhelming question, one that we ask and one that's actually being asked at churchleaders.com right now is, how do Christians embrace the goodness of diversity without caving to the winds of cultural change? And I wonder, before we even dive into what they're saying at churchleaders.com, how would you answer that very complicated question? That's a very complicated question because I think we all feel like there is a lot of change around us, right? Like uh, there are, to use their phrase, winds of cultural change. And so there are there are some Christians who are wanting to just dig their feet in and be like, as hard as those winds are coming at me, that's how hard I have to push against them. And there are others who are going, we just have to go with culture, go work. And the answer obviously falls somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and so how do we do that? And I think this article does a good job to say, because how we do that is also going to have a huge effect on the next generation Mm. who might think differently than we do, who might view things. And so you don't want to, you know, I think we're all struggling and wrestling right right now. Like, what does it mean not to cave, not to like turn my back on the things of my faith, 
while not being so dogmatic that I'm I'm majoring on things that are minor where we can actually have some disagreement and still be on the same team. Mm. How do I do that? It's I think this is going to get harder and harder as we go. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. It's going to get harder and harder. And again, we, we talked about this earlier in today's show, but how do we bridge divides while keeping our distinctives as Christians. And that's going to be just, I mean, it's not that that's a new question, but it certainly feels like a more pressured question, especially with, you know, conversations about gender, uh, gender affirming based, whatever the different genders are and implicit bias and critical race theory and wokeness and all these things that like are not going away. Right. Um, how can we how can we just be Jesus better? I think ultimately yeah. that's the question that we're asking. So over at churchleaders.com, here's what they actually argue. They actually say that truth be told, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and they use a term for that, D-E-I-B, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. These are not four-letter words. In <laughs> fact, they may be just what we need to find our way back to a discipleship that models Jesus and that sees those in our world come to true faith. I think that's really fascinating. They talk mm. about how, look, this is popping our homogenous bubbles, and that's a good thing. That's actually going back to what the early church was, like reconciling different brothers and sisters to one another. And so we get to actually now live in a world where it's all people of all shapes, sizes, colors, cultures, tribes, ethnicities, etc., and we see more of the gospel's power when we do life together with people who aren't like us. Um they also say that this opportunity to embrace some of the, you know, the culture's conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, again, D-E-I-B. I don't know if you're supposed mm -hmm. to say deep or if that- I would guess not. Yeah, probably. I would guess All not. All right. I kind of like calling it deep. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. That's your move. <laughs> um, but here's, here's what's interesting. Treating these conversations, this is what this article says, as- um, it's a problem that we just need training for, mm. right? Or we just need better policies about fail to address the root issue. And no, it says no matter how many policies we implement, no matter how many trainings we offer, no matter how many HR protocols we put in place, the Holy Spirit has to stir our hearts mm. to new ways of thinking and seeing the world. And I think that's really interesting because I'm, I am one, I am of the camp that does believe we need to make more systemic changes. But I also don't think that's the end all be all, that it really is the Holy Spirit who's the one who's going to move all of us to help people know that all people belong in the body of Christ. Yeah. And so I don't know how to take that practically, Brian, but I wonder if you have any sense of you know, as Christians who are, who are thinking through all of this and navigating all of it and trying to do right. And where does the Holy Spirit come into play? Oh, I mean, that, that's a huge question. I think the Holy Spirit um, is what convicts us, right? It's what reveals truth for us. Yeah. He is what, uh, you know, our guide. And so I think one thing that points us to is that we can be praying about these things and we can be wrestling and, and it's not only just about what did the last scholarly novel say, you know, book yeah. say, or what did this person. So I think we can do that, but uh, you know, Aubrey, I, I think we need wisdom right now, mm -hmm. like more than knowledge. We need wisdom. Mm, that's good. And, and it's the Holy spirit who provides us with wisdom. And I think we need to pray towards that end. Like, because I think it is such a, a murky path right yeah. now. We want to be people 
we want people to feel like they belong and are included and are um, affirmed and all of these things. While at the same time, there are things that traditional orthodoxy, right, like that that the Christian faith holds to yes. that we can't then say, well, we're going to turn our back on that right. in the name of inclusion and belonging. But yet we want to hold those things while doing our best to make people feel yeah. belonging and value. And that's such a fine line because it's a two way straight mm-hmm. street. If I hold to X, say something about sexuality, mm-hmm. that other person who believes differently than me might say, well, that doesn't feel very inclusive. That doesn't right. feel like you're being right. And you go, well, what do you want me to do? Like this is what we and so it's it my whole point is this is why the holy spirit needs to provide wisdom because i don't i don't think the answer is let's reject everything that we have believed through history right in the name of where our cultural winds are pulling us that's not the answer but yet we can't also say let's be so dogmatic Mm. uh and and really um Let's fight so hard that we're going to ostracize everybody who doesn't believe everything. And so I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, but this is kind of the edge for Christians right now as it pertains to what's our witness going to be in our culture. Yeah, I think you're exactly, you are exactly right, Brian. What is our witness going to be in this changing culture without, like you said, without letting go of what our holy word teaches, you know, right, so it, right. it, it, here, here's what this article says. I feel like this is, uh, this is true of what we're saying. There is, this is no small feat. As research shows, nearly 80% of businesses are failing in their efforts at DEIB, but they're trying. Can we say the same thing? Can our churches and Christian institutions, are we trying to be a people who pray and live as though God actually does want his kingdom to come here on earth? Do we volunteer at our local shelters and show up at the anti-suicide rallies? Do we listen to the hard conversations around race and sexuality with open ears and open hearts? Are we people of safety for those wounded by our world? Are we salt and light in a world that seems increasingly dark and divided? And then I'll just end with this. It says, indeed, significant shifting is occurring in the religious and cultural landscape of the U.S. today. The question is, will we hide in fear or will we step into the wind and join God as he invites more and more people from every tribe, tongue, nation, belief system, gender, and ability into his family. We can use the language and questions of this cultural moment to point people to true belonging in God's word. So that is, I mean, that's a call right there. How do we, um, how do we do that? Invite all people into God's kingdom, simultaneously call those people to holiness in Jesus Christ and to live a life of obedience to him. This is going to be the ongoing question the church and all of us as Christians are going to face. Yeah. We need you. Holy Spirit, help us. (laughs) Uh, Brian, well, we're going to take a sharp left turn when we return and talk about some hilarious white elephant gift ideas. Oh, I'm ready. Yeah, I can't wait for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And it is that time of year when we're planning all things Christmas, thinking about the holidays. And one of those things for you and your family or you and your workplace might be a white elephant gift exchange. In other places, it's known as a Yankee Swap gift exchange. Mm-hmm. Brian, do you and your family or you and any of your church staff take part in a white elephant gift party? 
we we don't this year, but it has been in the past, right? right whether it be with a small group or yeah. whatever else it might be, I do always enjoy it. Although sometimes they get so out of control yes. that like that it's an entire room full of stuff that you would never ever ever want. You like, like literally no don't want it, right? Value to it. now. One year I remember. Uh, this was, a, I think, a small group, maybe or something. I left with a. Do you remember uh, the Snuggie? You oh the Snuggie? yes, yes. I left with a Snuggie, which was a hilarious gift, but then also an awesome, also amazing. Gift. Like, oh, I I love the Snuggie. So you know, in those sense, there was another time with our small group that we were uh, two years in a row where we tried. To, <laughs> I remember this, and it kind of ticked the person off a little bit. Uh, we took the gifts that we were given that were ridiculous and we did our best to try to hide them somewhere in the host's house. That's amazing. I think there. that is so funny. Yes. Yeah. We hurt some feelings because people are like, oh, you hated it so much oh. that you didn't do this. Uh, l- gross here. I want to ask you grossest gift you have ever seen in uh, one. I was once a part of a sm- of a um, a white elephant gift exchange in which the person here, you ever heard of a SIDS bath, a SITS bath? Oh, of course. Or whatever I mean, I've had children. Uh, I know what a SITS bath is. Uh, they wrapped up a used SITS bath. Gross. That's so I, We were all like, excuse me? Like, <laughs> oh, what just happened? Gosh, so, anyway, they go across. What is your biggest white elephant gift memory? Oh, so I, this is, I'll just, I don't know if I have a biggest white elephant gift memory, but I'll tell you what I love to do at a white elephant gift exchange. I love to, you know, you give the generally like lame gift, but then you stick like a $25 Amazon gift card inside and you don't let people know. And then at the end, everyone's like, what? Or somebody finds out and that becomes the thing that gets fought for. That's my favorite thing is to bring the gift that everybody fights for. So I, I try to break the rules a little bit when it comes to white elephant and bring something that's like pretty ridiculous, but like there's a secret surprise inside and you are going to want it. Well, if you have some white elephant gift plans coming up over at Relevant Magazine, they have 13 unforgettably stupid gift ideas for your white elephant party. I feel like, Brian, this is a version of a top five list, but this is actually a top 13 list. And I thought it might be fun to share with our listeners to get those creative juices flowing for... um, for uh, the top, yes, you know, for the top, people probably have gift exchanges up. to come. Yes, they're they coming. Do it. We've got one in a couple weeks, so I feel like this is going to, you know, give me some ideas. All right, so I'm gonna, I'll read them to you, and you just let me know what you think. Okay, this one's pretty hilarious. Uh, you could give someone a Bob Ross heat changing mug. Oh, so, tell more. Yes, so it's you know Bob Ross the painter, obviously, yes. who's become yes. sort of a cultural icon. Uh the mug is actually him holding a paintbrush but it's black. You pour your hot coffee or tea or what have you in it and it becomes a painting. Oh, that's awesome. I feel like that's actually a really That's good really one. cool. I yeah. like that one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, number 2, I think this is one my kids would actually love. You know um the wind weenies, like in front of the, yes. I'm sure there's a better name for like them. A car but, dealership thing. Yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you can buy a mini wacky wavy tube guy. Ooh, I would. So trade it's that like out. one that sits on your desk. Oh, you. So you would not keep that one in the game. I would not. Like the, part okay. of this is like with each of these gifts, I'm thinking, would I steal that from somebody or okay. not? I would steal the Bob Ross mug. I would not steal that thing. That thing would okay. annoy the heck out of me. I would. Th- I think I would steal the mini tube guy, but as a gift for my kids. Like okay. I would put it in their Fair. stockings. Okay, this one's disgusting. I don't even want to say it, but I'm going to because it's on the list. A dad bod. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> a dad bod belly fanny pack. 
Yes. So it is a fanny pack that looks like a very hairy white man's belly that's fat and has a very big belly button. And it's disgusting. Stolen. I'm taking that one. Okay. That's the one you want. Okay. Yes. This is the one I want. This one's really funny. A Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cheese grater <laughs> called a shredder. And it's got shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on top. That's not bad. That one's not bad. It's not the dad bod uh, fanny pack, but it, that's not bad. Yeah, I like that one. Okay, this one I've never heard of. It's a game called Pimple Pete. It's like Operation, but for acne. You take Gross. pimples off of Pimple Pete. I know, that's disgusting. That one. This one is weird. It's an octopus hat. You put it over your face, and it looks like an octopus. I, I don't That one's very strange. Like, is it supposed to keep your face warm? Yes, it's a, it's a warm, like a face warming hat. All right. That's one of those I wouldn't steal, but I wouldn't be terribly mad if I, if if I, you le- got if I it. left with. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Uh, this one I enjoy. Uh, some lightsaber chopsticks. <laughs> I don't like chopsticks, so I'm going to pass <laughs> okay, on that one, okay. but that's good. Okay, this one is kind of terrible, but funny. Bread-shaped pillow. So it is a giant pillow. Like a body pillow mm-hmm. in the shape of a f- loaf of French bread. Yes, please. That's okay. a good one. I'm you want that, that one? one? Yes. Okay, this one's good for us pastors. Uh, Brian, there's two for us pastors. One is Last Supper After Dinner Mints. <laughs> the other is Want a Taco About Jesus t-shirt. It's got a taco on it. It says, Want to Taco About Jesus? Let us pray. As in, let us. Let us pray. You know, I'm Mr. Dad Joke, Mr. Bad Pun, yeah. so I am in a Jesus-themed like pun. Yes, please. All right, we've got two more. Okay, let's see what you think. Uh, the avocado coin purse. It's a coin purse in the shape of an avocado. Nope. Okay, here's the last one. I feel like you might like this. It's a coffee mug with a hoop. So, like, if you put your hot chocolate in it, you can throw some mini marshmallows through the basketball hoop. Yeah, that's one of those I would love and never use because I don't yeah, like a so hot true. chocolate. But if I was in the moment sitting in that circle, I'd be like, I want that. That is it. Uh, yeah. I'd probably use it once or twice. And then we'd find it a year later going, yeah, we should use this for the white elephant. For gift the next gift. white elephant gift. Um, Brian, do you know what I'm giving for my white elephant gifts this year? Are you allowed to share this? Go ahead. Well, as long as no one listens. Okay. Family members, close your ears. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I have an extraneous amount of Blossom t-shirts. Oh, yes. From your birthday a few years ago. Or and, this year. Uh, yes. So we're I'm going to give those away for white elephant gifts this year. Okay. How many did you get? Because you only gave me one. I gave you one. Somehow three came in the mail. That's awesome. So now I have two extra Blossom shirts and they're going to be white elephants. Wonderful. Well, Or you're going to get them for the next few uh, birthdays. We'll see. Either Either works for me. Both are good. Well, we hope that got your creative juices flowing if you have your own white elephant gift party coming up. And we're so grateful that you've been with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back here tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.